I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Well, should Utah get more passenger trains? Some advocates in the state believe so, and there's billions of dollars that have been set aside uh, dealing with rail in the infrastructure bill that could make that a viable option or at least a viable exploration. So what could the benefits of more trains in Utah be? What are some of the challenges? And how do we go beyond just the false choices of getting rid of every car and every airplane and only having a, a train option uh, which some people like to do on both ends of the argument. And so we're really pleased to have joining us today Mike Christensen, who's the president of the Utah Rail Passengers Association. Mike, thanks for jumping on with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. And so let's uh, let's get right into it. Uh, give us a, a lay of the land in terms of Utah and the West and, and passenger trains. Where are we? What's the need? What are the possibilities? Well, uh, I've been working on uh, on researching what the possibilities are for almost a decade now, and uh, it is very feasible to be able to have uh, connections from the Wasatch Front going north to Logan and uh, southeast to uh, Moab and Grand Junction and southwest to Cedar City. Uh, we have a bit of a problem getting to uh, St. George, because St. George does not have uh, any existing rail lines that uh, that go there. And in fact, Washington County is one of the most populated counties in the nation to lack a rail connection. So uh, we have possibilities to uh, take advantage of this federal funding to be able to better connect uh, Utah. And so as you, as you look at that, uh, give us a sense of that process. Obviously, there's $66 billion, uh, of funds for passenger rail projects. Is this all through a, a bid? Are these block grants? Uh, what does that process look like? There's actually several different opportunities. Um, I am not the person who is most familiar with all the details of it, but uh, I am aware that one of the difficulties that we have in Utah is that uh, basically UDOT is not ready to take advantage of this funding uh, because we uh, don't really have the capacity to to go after this type of funding. And uh, I, I created the, the nonprofit Utah Rail Passengers Association in order to help build that capacity. And uh, we are hoping to be able to get some meetings uh, and bring stakeholders together sometime in the near future 
to be able to have a conversation about uh, well, one whether whether or not we want to do this project, but also uh, what we need to do in Utah in order to prepare ourselves to uh, to take advantage of that funding. Uh, and it's just one of those um, within that uh, that pot of money, so to speak, within the infrastructure bill. Uh, are there things inside of that where even some of these feasibility studies or some of those kind of commissions could be uh, put together, or is this strictly uh, steel and concrete and uh, putting things together? Right. Yeah, it's not just uh, construction funding or, or con- funding to to fund uh, the capital projects, but also there is funding available for planning and capacity building. And uh, I was actually at a conference um, earlier this week in Billings, Montana, where we brought together a lot of uh, various stakeholders from throughout the region uh, to meet with uh, representatives from the U.S. Department of Transportation and the Federal Railroad Administration and also Amtrak uh, to learn more about how we can uh, start this process. So in the coming weeks, I'm going to be reaching out to those that I met there in order to see what what the next steps are. And so as you uh, as you look at some of those next steps and how that might play out, obviously this is a uh, a long-term play in terms of getting that done. None, none of this is uh, easy. I think you uh, pointed out recently that uh, even just getting the trains themselves, it's not like uh, going to the mall or to the car dealership and say, you know, I'd like one in red and one in blue and uh, and maybe a purple one uh, to go up to Weaver State. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, acquiring trains is not like going to the local auto dealership and just picking up something that's already sitting on the lot. So there is a process that will take a few years to just acquire trains. Um, but this is a much quicker process because it uh, it relies on using existing uh, Union Pacific uh, freight tracks in order to operate the service. The the infrastructure, the tracks are pretty much all there. Uh, so it is a much quicker process than, let's say, building new rail lines and uh, also a much more cost-effective process than building new rail lines. Uh, that, that That's a great point. And I think uh, a lot of people, we, we've been hearing a lot of late, even on some of these uh, green energy or climate uh, kinds of projects and initiatives that you know one securing the the funding is is one component to it, but then just the uh, the process uh, the NEPA process and some of those things that you have to go through uh, can take years and years uh, to work your way through a lot of those things so by using existing rail lines uh, that 's got to be a, a great accelerator in terms of the project yes, exactly because uh, you using existing rails uh, allows you to bypass most of the NEPA process uh, because it's oh I think we just lost him okay uh, anyway that was uh, our conversation uh, about rail with Mike Christensen and you know I think this is one of those that you had to explore all the possibilities if we really are a, a all of the above kind of option in terms of how we deal with everything from pollution to congestion and traffic and all of those things. Uh, to me, it's not the either-or fake fight stuff. Uh, and I think this is one of those where, again, there's been funds allocated as part of the infrastructure deal. I think having Utah go through and at least use some of those funds 
in, t- in terms of some uh, significant studies, I think can make a, can make a real difference. Looks like we got Mike back on. Mike, just real quickly, uh, as we round out the hour here, uh, what are some of the things that you hope that uh, that just the average citizens would be thinking about as we start this process and you start really exploring uh, what this kind of rail system could mean in the state of Utah? Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry that my, my phone conked <laughs> out for a second. No but, worries. Uh, uh, one of the things is that uh, we, we've been really good here in Utah, especially along the Wasatch Front, um, in terms of building up our transit system. Uh, but when you go beyond the Wasatch Front, uh, there isn't really any way to get around the state. Uh, there are some some private providers, but uh, that's something that Utah has really fallen behind other states on. So, uh, well, you know, the majority of our, our population is along the Wasatch Front. We still have well over a half million people uh, elsewhere in the state that also need good connections. Uh, so that's one of the things to definitely keep in mind. Um, but also the one of the big problems is that it's very expensive to to build and maintain highways and it's far cheaper to move people um, by train. So it, it would rep- represent a significant cost savings to uh, to UDOT and to the state in general to be moving more people by train. All right. Uh, great insight. Mike Christensen is the president of the Utah Rail Passengers Association. Mike, thanks for uh, jumping on with us today. Appreciate your perspective. Oh, thank you. All right. Again, that's uh, Mike Christensen from the Utah Rail Passengers Association. And I th- again, I think this is one of those things where you just have to sort it through uh, and look at all of the implications. I do think the fact that it uh, the proposals are looking like they, they use existing rail lines uh, as the dominant feature there, uh, because as we were talking with Mike uh, earlier in the interview, the the process for these kinds of projects can be drawn out so far simply because of the red tape and the regulatory hurdles that you have to overcome that often it makes it just impossible to actually get the project done. Uh, we know that on average it's taking four and a half years for many of these projects just to get to where they can turn over some dirt and get the, the project started. Uh, and so I think using existing lines, I think, is a really interesting concept in terms of that because it accelerates everything. If you're not having to go through that process from the beginning, uh, that saves millions of dollars and could save years and years in terms of process. Uh, and so, again, we know there are some funds set aside uh, from the infrastructure bill. Uh, I think doing a deep dive study, looking at how that works and how uh, it could best impact the people of the state is a conversation definitely worth having. All right, that's going to wrap up hour number one of Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Coming up, all of the talk about loan forgiveness also leads to a discussion about is free college really the answer? We're going to get into a much deeper think again kind of moment on that with Preston Cooper from the Foundation for Research and Equal Opportunity. Stick around, we'll be right back. KSL Salt Lake City. Listen on any smart speaker and in your car at 102.7 FM. KSL News Radio, Utah's all day companion for news. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. 
Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.